Gathering with Roger B. occurs monthly in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Attendees are 12-steppers, those who have been affected by another's addiction, and some who are simply interested in improving their personal level of life satisfaction using a variety of spiritually-based tools. It is also used as a tool for study groups nationwide. The gathering's talks are generally tied to one or more of the 12 steps, but are always guided by spiritual concepts, principles, and ideas common to most faiths. Topics are drawn from a variety of sources, the 12 steps, many of the well-known wisdom texts, science, and other teachers that speak to a spiritual solution to life solutions. Roger has been in recovery for over 40 years and has spent thousands of hours in service sharing his experience, strength, and hope. He has created curriculum for treatment centers and leads workshops and retreats throughout the United States, Canada, and Europe. Roger is a certified spiritual director and offers insight into spiritually-based living skills that are relevant to all people, whether in recovery or not. This episode is sponsored by Gopher State Tape Library, a 5013C corporation. Established in 1974, the library has been archiving recovery talks of the many 12-step recovery fellowships across the globe. For almost 50 years, these have been distributed worldwide. The library is the only all-volunteer organization doing this work in existence. There are no paid employees. Thousands of downloads, MP3s, and CDs can be obtained at www.gstl.ecwid.com. When you think about fear, there's several different ways it comes at us, right? The uh, When you study the social security and sex instinct, the fear is generated in that neighborhood by the appearance of not getting something I want or losing something I have. Social instinct, approval, friendship, love, admiration. Security instinct could be relationships, could be job, could be money, could be um, material things, boats, cars, planes, trips. And then the sex area is, is for physical intimacy, right? When those are properly in place and functioning properly, they serve to our betterment. When they're not, they serve to our detriment. So to remind us, um, a little bit on what we're talking about here. Um, in the big book, we talked about it, and, and one of the things that we concluded from our resentment inventory was selfish self-centeredness. That's the root of the problem. Selfish self-centeredness is the root of the problem, meaning all the other problems come out of that root come out of that plant. So when I'm firmly planted in man's world, in fear, that's always a presentation of there's not enough, it's lack. When I'm in God's world, it's the opposite, it's abundance. So rather than either or, think of it in terms of self-reliant, God-reliant, and those are just polarities of the same thing, reliance, right? So I'm somewhere on that continuum, and I need to know where I am on the continuum and how I'm going to adjust it to get to the higher end where it's more pleasurable. So there's a couple of things that get in the way. One, my attachments. If I'm 
really, if you do a thorough four step and a good fifth step, you'll realize I got some, I got some, we call them, uh, well, I call them attachments. Treatment would probably call them triggers. Right? I got a, I'm a real vulnerable in the social instinct area, approval, wanting to fit in, wanting to be acknowledged, uh, be a leader. Um, some people have it more over in the security with the money and the property, the prestige and the relationships. And in those secure in the security instinct, the relationships are based on me finding someone to take care of me, to rely on me, me being over-dependent on someone, or them being over-reliant on me. Depending on your techniques and how you control things, how you manipulate things, that'll be it'll be one of those two things. So I've got these attachments, that's one problem. And I've got a bunch of beliefs that go with the attachments that don't serve me either. I mean, we have, you've seen it in the, in the, in the culture over the years, you know, the one, the man who dies with the most toys wins. What's that about? That's about security instinct. That's about external referral. That's about man's world. Saying that there is comfort, there is safety, there's security, there's purpose and direction in things. No, there isn't. There's utility in things. It's, I've had no money and I've had some money, and it's much more easy to have some money than no money. But I still live through it all, right? So I have beliefs. If you work hard, you can get anything you want. That's, that's a belief, but it's not necessarily a truth. I have a belief. This ties into the attachments when you get into demand and entitlement, right? So I have a belief that I should be in a relationship. Uh, and when it's worse, I go, I deserve one. That's entitlement. And I walk around going, where's mine? Where's mine? There's the fear. Where's mine? I don't have enough. When you run off your senses, your five senses and your instincts, you never have enough. It's just like when you drank. You know what I'm talking about. If I could just get my own place, then I get my own place. And then if I could just get a bigger place, or if I could just find someone to be in the place with me, then I get a woman to be in the place with me. And then we need something else. Then we need something else. I need a newer car. I need a bigger house. And it goes on and on and on. And I never, ever, ever have any satisfaction because the obsession and the defect doesn't allow me to see that even when I achieve those things that I say I need, want, or desire, they bring no satisfaction. If they do, it's only brief. It's only momentary. It's just very short term. It's what I call it the new car smell effect. You get that new car and you get that new car smell in there. And after a while, the new car smells gone and all you got is five years of payments that you're looking at. It's not so fun then. So what is the problem? The problem is alignment. If I'm aligned with man's world and I'm being run by my instincts, I don't have a chance in hell of any contentment, any purpose, any direction, any peace in my life. And so that makes for what? More tension, more irritability, more dissatisfaction. That makes for what? If you're an Al-Anon, more compulsivity. If you're an AA, more drinking. If you're a druggie, more drugs. If you're like me, more of everything. Thank you. Just more. Give me more. <clears throat> so let's look at this idea 
you know, we, we, we say, sometimes we say, I'm haunted by my past and fear of the future. And if you ever hear your head telling you we're afraid of the unknown, that's pure BS. Because a fear has to have a subject. I'm not afraid of the unknown. And I think if I know what's going to happen, then I'll be secure. No, you won't. Because that's what a plan is. I think I know I'm planning the result. I think I know what's going to happen. So what? I got to make it happen. And so I start struggling with you because I need you to satisfy my demand. And this, this is that line we say we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Because when I'm in that operating mode, full on fear and selfish self-centeredness, I will do anything I need to do to get what I want. And if it happens to affect you in a negative way, you know, it's nothing personal. Nothing personal. Just business, you know what I'm saying? So they're going to have us make some lists. And I love, I love their metaphor for evil, for fear, in page 67. It was an evil and corroding threat. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. Fear is my constant companion, but there's different kinds of fear. There's instinctive fear, there's, there's reasonable fear. I'm stepping off the curb and I see a car running a red light and I jump back. That's an instinctive and that's a self-preservative fear. That's a normal fear. The fear that I have, the fear that most of us have, has nothing to do with that. It's imagination. And my head goes into the future and starts creating scenarios. Oh, Andy's got to start school in August. I wonder what that's going to be like. Uh, here's some things you can worry about. Here's some things you can concern yourself. Oh, I got a meeting tomorrow I don't want to go to. And I'm afraid of this guy. I'm intimidated by this person or this woman. And, and your head just starts creating scenarios. None of that's real. But your mind, your brain, doesn't know the difference between real or imagined. So if you tell it, we're threatened. It goes, oh, we're threatened. And so it throws up, it starts throwing up the gun turrets and the moats and the landmines, and depending on the level of the threat. So they want us to look at, at our fear, and it's rather stark. They say, review your fears, put them on paper. Why do I have this fear? Here's my fears. It's not fear of spiders and stepladders. I'm afraid I'm going to die alone. I'm afraid I'm going to die broke. I'm afraid I'm going to get Alzheimer's like my dad. I'm afraid I'm going to get cancer like my mother. I'm afraid I'm going to be alone and blind in a nursing home. I'm afraid I won't get to a nursing home. I'm afraid I'm going to die a horrible, slow, painful death. Those kinds of fears, right? The cinematic ones. <laughs> Not going to worry about this infected hangnail. I got big things to worry about. So this, this was a total mind blower to me until I understood the basic instinct, social security and sex. Because the next question is, you list your fears, got it. Now they say, why do you have them? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. But the book says, no, it's selfishness, self-centeredness. That's the root of the problem. So what part of self is creating the fear? Follow me. So I go, does my need for approval 
because my demand for approval create this fear that I'm not good enough, that you don't like me. Oh, does my need for that promotion at work, is that creating this fear? Well, it is. That's what part of self is creating the fear. Because when my instincts are out of proportion, they drive my brain. My brain's in fight, flight, or freeze. And I'm not my brain. I'm the observer. And I'm saying, I'm watching the parade now. Now I get the handle on this. This is what is my need for approval. Yeah. My need to belong. Yes. My need for intimacy. Yes. Does that create this? Yeah. This fear? It certainly does. Yeah. Does your need for being a big shot create the fear? Absolutely. Does your, does your need for that new car? Is that creating the fear because you think you won't be able to pull it off because you can't afford it because you got a bad credit rating because you're so bad with money? Blah, 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 right? And now, did my need for intimacy, physical intimacy, create that fear? Yeah. That's why I lie. That's why I manipulate. Because I think if I don't get what I want, I'm going to literally die. So then it says, just hanging together. So out of the book, if you don't like it, blame Bill. So I now have a sense of what is creating the fear. The fear isn't just randomly happening. It's informed by a perspective and a set of ideas. Fear is a principle. Okay. So then they say, oh, was it self-reliant or not? Well, of course it was self-reliant. And that reinforces the idea in the first step, the failure of my self-reliance. Oh, I see. Okay. But it didn't go far enough. No, it didn't. It didn't work at all with drinking. It didn't work at all in relationships. It didn't work at all with money. It didn't work at all with friendships. It didn't work at all in my life. Self-reliance did not work at all. And then it says, yeah, some of us had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. We're talking now about persona, the mask I create for you, the world to see. That also keeps me safe from attacks. So uh, you look at your persona. What was your persona? You know, some people's persona was I became invisible. I became numb. Some people's persona, I became a fighter. I became an intimidator, right? I became the best defense is a good offense. So if you look at me sideways, I just get in your grill right away and set the tone. That's what it's asking me to look at. Now. Yes, it's failed me. I see that now, and I see what's driving the fear. What the fear is being driven by is an imagination based in the dark side. Okay? So when your success made you cocky, it was worse. So now they're just going to go, hey, there's a better way. We think this is the way. But you're on a different basis. When did I get on a different basis? The first three steps put me on a different basis. They say the basis of trusting and relying upon God. Well, if you're new and you don't have a concept of God that's serviceable and you're looking, reaching for something else, you know, maybe I have to find a different word for G-O-D. Maybe I find peace. Maybe I find relief. Maybe I find patience. Maybe I find evidence of a change, right? So... The basis to trusting and relying on God. I trusted the truth as it presented to me. And the truth presented to me the last time I drank like this. 
I'm done. I'm toast. I can't do this. That was my first step. And that proceeded to set a chain of events in, in, in sequence that are still going on today, 43 years later. So I don't believe in God when I'm doing this. When I first started, started when I first stopped drinking and when I first got into AI, I didn't believe in God. But I believed in that experience because that was the truth. And it was the most truthful moment I've ever had in my life. I knew it on a cellular level. And the truth is often a synonym for God or the gospel, the good word, the truth. Okay. So now I can say to myself, okay, okay, I can see that I'm on the basis of, of trusting and relying on the truth. I'm going to trust infinite truth rather than my finite selves. I'm in the world to play the role he assigns. You don't like the male pronoun? Change it. You don't have to use the same edification they use, right? They use the King James Version of the Bible. They came from a religious platform, so God was a man. If God was a man, if you had men in your life that betrayed you, that hurt you, that abused you, that raped you, um, a male God is going to be a tough reach. So you don't have to have a male God doesn't have to have a gender. It just has to be something you and I are willing to grow towards. So I grew towards whatever the power was that brought about the changes that happened to me in my early sobriety, the cessation of drinking, the removal of the temptation. I was a musician. I was playing in clubs every night and I had free booze, free drugs and available women all over the place and nothing was tempting. I'd been placed in a position of neutrality. I not I wasn't brand new. I wasn't like, oh, this is wonderful. I was so crazy, I hardly noticed it. But this power did for me what I could not do for myself, which has put me into a place of safety, suspending my appetites long enough to get to ANA and these crazy old guys that were going to be angels in my life. So I'm the reason I'm laboring through this is this has got to make sense to us. You can't just say it and not believe it. So you have to say it in terms that are true for you, that make it real for you. Otherwise, you're just saying words and you're going to end up feeling like a hypocrite because what's really going on is I got this big argument about G.O.D. and G.O.D. being a man and on and on and on. So change it. But here's the here's the real Here's a real promise. Mission statement. I'm in the role. I'm in the world to play the role that God assigns me. And we all have different roles. Roles. Mama, dad, son, daughter, auntie, grandma, friend, facilitator, gas station operator. I mean, we have roles that are assigned. Okay. Now the promise is this. Just to the extent that I do as I think he would have me, just to the extent that I do as I think these higher principles would have me be and rely on those principles, rely on God, rely on him, rely on the truth, that truth will enable me to match calamity with serenity. That's, to me, one of the most profound promises in this book. It's saying, if you stay close to the work, and do it to the best of your ability, whatever that power is, because life is coming. 
Life is coming. It's not saying, oh, you got somewhere. Isn't that great? You have 90 days. You'll never have another problem in your life. That's not what it's saying. It's saying life is in session and recovery is a vehicle in order which I can navigate life because it's going to throw stuff at me. And what this promise is, you stay close to this, do this work well to the best of your ability as well. And you'll have a piece of you that is untouched. It's like the eye of the hurricane. The world is doing all this stuff around me and there's a part of me that's just solid. And that part will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow as you grow in relationship with the power. And that's prayer, meditation, and inventory, right? So don't apologize to anyone for depending on this power. You can laugh at those who think spirituality the way we weakness. If you've been down this road significantly and at depth, you know this is one of the <clears throat> pardon me. One of the scariest, most courageous things you've ever undertaken. Transformation. Giving myself up to something that I can't see, I can't prove, I can't smell, I can't taste. But I'm giving myself to it. Hmm. Yeah. So the verge of the ages is that faith means courage. All men and women of faith have courage. They trust their God. Don't apologize for God. Instead, I let God, I let him, I let the power, I let her, I let it demonstrate through me what it can do. That's what you do with your sponsees. God demonstrates through me for them to see what is possible. I'm just a waypoint. I'm just holding a lantern out in this dark path going, over here, Andy, over here, watch your step. Over here, David, come on, it's fine. Yeah, I got the flashlight. We're good, right? Here's a beautiful prayer. So as I'm doing God's work to the best of my ability, I ask him to remove my fear and direct my attention to what he would have me be. Not do. The ego is always wanting to do something. No. God, remove my fear. This is six and seven. Remove my fear and direct my attention my mental awareness to what you'd have me be, that is a call to consciousness. Be kind, be patient, be loving, be humble, be helpful, be charitable, be tolerant, be non-judgmental. Okay? Then it says, at once we commence to outgrow fear. What are synonyms for commence? Start, begin, commence. What is it saying? Fear will be a constant companion. It doesn't have to be a paralyzing, controlling companion, but because of the amygdala and our design, fear will always be an option. And so what this is about is how do I outgrow the fear? Identify it. It's a, it's a negative imagination, and I turn away back to a principle, which is concrete. I can practice peace. I can practice Giving. I can practice tolerance. In Where do you practice it? Now. You practice it now. You don't practice it when you feel better. <laughs> you don't feel better. You don't practice it after the fear is gone. This is how you get rid of it. You turn away from it. Because what gives the fear its dimension is our attention to it. I focus on it and it expands. Does it not? 
That's why we don't work on our problems. We work on the solution. I identify my problem and I turn away. That's all four through nine is about. I've identified the things that stand between me and being the man or the woman I want to be. And I'm working on getting those set aside. And the work is identifying them. And that requires honesty and willingness and open-mindedness on our part. God does the removal. Because if I could have removed it, I would have removed it. If I could have transformed me, I would have. If I could have changed me, I would have. If I could have lied less, I would have. And I didn't. If I could have been a better son, I would have. I didn't have the power. It's not that I was bad and I was a jerk. Those things are sidebars that are true. But that's not the cause of it. It's not the cause of it. I aligned myself with a set of lower principles. And those lower principles created so much mental, emotional, and psychic pain in me that I had to escape. And the only thing I could do to escape was drugs and alcohol and activities, distraction, distraction. God, remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. It reminds me who the power is. God's the power. And my mission is to turn back to some quality or aspect or attribute that would be more godly than fear, than lying, than manipulation, right? So, okay, I think that's enough. I'm, I'm going to, oh, here's a couple of closing ideas. I'm reading a, a book by Seneca, a Roman uh, Stoic from uh, about 60 years BC. Anyway, he's, he had a couple of things on fear I liked. Fear denies us the present while it promises us the future. Don't be here now, but tomorrow will be better, right? And then this ties in with his other one. The greatest obstacle to living is expectancy. Expectancy, which hangs upon tomorrow, and we lose today. You know? Think about it. When I'm living in an expectancy, hope for a better tomorrow, I'm not here. I'm not in the present tense. When I'm afraid and I project that into the future, I say, well, maybe this, this tomorrow will be better. You see, in both, both those ideas, both those mindsets, both those trains of thought take me out of the present tense which is the only place I can do anything with God, with you, with me, prayer, meditation, inventory. It's the only time I can invite the creator in is now, not yesterday and not tomorrow. New episodes of The Gathering are published twice a month and can be found on Spotify and other major podcast apps. You can follow The Gathering on Spotify and others to receive monthly notifications of new episodes.